When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Plant School Podcast. I'm Rachel, and here we learn about plants, how to care for them, how they work, and I keep it simple and taught in a way that anyone from beginner to expert can enjoy. Join me in Plant School. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Plant School. So happy to have you here listening. Before I dive into this week's podcast episode, I was just thinking how I haven't done a giveaway in quite a while, so I'm going to do one soon, maybe in the next episode or two. So if you aren't aware, I do a giveaway every once in a while, just as a thank you to all of you who are part of Plant School. And all you have to do to enter is share it with someone verbally, through text message, email, I don't care. Just share it with someone and then message me on Instagram at Tinny Plants and let me know that you shared it with someone and I'll enter you into the giveaway. Or I guess you could email me too and let me know that you have shared it with someone. My email is tinnyplants at gmail.com. But yeah, each giveaway is a little bit different, but for this one, I will be giving away a plant along with some really cool plant school merch. So if you are interested in getting a free plant and a really cool plant-related shirt, then definitely enter in, share this podcast. I appreciate every one of you that does. And I'll be announcing the winner, uh, let's say two weeks. So in two episodes from today's episode, I will announce a winner. All right, and for today's episode, as you can see from the title, we're going to be discussing what is inside of a plant. This is another plant science episode. I haven't done one of these in so long. and I thought it was about time. I do want to say I promise I'm going to make this as interesting and as fun and light as possible because I know for a lot of you when you see the title of this you might think why would I even care about that that sounds boring I don't want to learn about that but I promise I'm going to include just some fun stuff this isn't going to be like a biology lesson in high school that you just have to endure through it's going to be like a fun review with some really interesting stories thrown in there so first question I want to dive into is why do we care what's inside of a plant? And I'll be honest, I was like looking for answers for this of like, why do we care? Is there like a really good reason why we need to know what's inside of a plant? I was scouring articles and going through Google and man, I was getting no good answers. Most of it was just because it's like, it's in the curriculum. Um, they have intriguing patterns of development and diversity. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know, I know. But like, why do we care? Why does the average person need to know? And you know what? I couldn't find a good answer online. So here's my answer. Because knowledge is power. That's why. And obviously you are interested in knowledge because you are listening to this podcast. And if you think about it, Plants, they are the basis of our entire ecosystem. They are providing basically the whole biosphere with oxygen, with food, and we love them. So that is why we care what's inside of them. And I really do feel like if you understand an organism better, you appreciate it more. 
And I'm all about appreciating plants. So that that's your reason from Rachel. All right, so next question is, how is a plant even made in the first place? Obviously, it starts with a seed, right? But how does all that genetic information just start building into a plant? For us humans, I feel like in my mind it makes a little more sense because a pregnant person is consuming food and that is energy for a baby to have those cells start dividing and create the baby. But what about a plant? Where is it getting energy from to even start because it's just a seed there's no leaves there so to start off carbon is making up most of what a plant is the dry part of a plant the leaves the stem the roots is all mostly made of carbon and it gets that carbon from the air it also is absorbing oxygen so that it can make glucose which is a sugar slash energy for the plant and it comes from the carbon dioxide in the air that it is absorbing too so literally a plant is making itself out of thin air it's absorbing all of that carbon dioxide to be able to start growing those leaf stems and roots and to make the energy that it needs sometimes i wish i could do that and just like grow a baby out of thin air and it didn't have to suck up all of my energy but you know I'm not a plant that's not the way it is also I should mention and I haven't like announced this on my Instagram yet but I'm planning on doing it soon I guess you guys on the podcast will hear it here first but I am expecting and so that is why pregnancy is on my mind because I am currently pregnant and I'm so excited I have two little boys right now and I am desperately hoping for a girl is that okay to say but if not if it's another boy at least I kind of know what I'm doing and I can handle it so anyways I just wanted to share that happy news with you guys because I am so excited and I don't think I can keep it from this community any longer so yeah if I talk about pregnancy it's honestly it's just because it's on my mind man it's on my mind but moving on back to plants Plants also need vitamins and minerals to function and grow properly. It's not just all carbon, and those are taken up by the roots. Not everything in a plant is just happening out of thin air from that carbon dioxide that it's absorbing. And then, of course, once the plant has leaves and has grown a little bit, it is uptaking energy via photosynthesis, which, as you know, it's where the sun is interacting with the chloroplast in the leaf cells, and it converts that light energy into stable chemical energy for the plant to use. I'm not going to dive into it any more than that because, again, this is not your high school biology class. Okay, and this is where I want to go on a fun little tangent with you guys before I dive into what a plant is made up of, its components, besides just, you know, carbon structures. I want to ask the question of what if humans could photosynthesize? So we know that it's impossible for humans to photosynthesize, but what if we did have photosynthetic skin? Like, let's just go on this train, this imaginary train that probably would not happen. Although I did read a few articles that talked about how maybe one day we could adopt this into our human anatomy to have like patches of photosynthetic skin to maybe help us heal or things like that. But all in all, it's probably not going to happen. But let's just imagine. So I read this live science article that actually dove into this exact topic 
And it started off by giving a lot of examples of some animals that actually do photosynthesize. And I didn't realize this was a thing, to be honest. So those animals that do have solar-powered molecules in them include the pea aphid and the oriental hornet. Oriental hornet has like a stripe on its body that includes solar-powered molecules that does give it energy. There's also an animal called the Alicia sea slug, and it steals chloroplast from the algae that it is constantly eating, and it is to help them live off of photosynthesis for months if they have to. If they are in a jam, they can't find any algae to eat, they can start to photosynthesize and get their energy that way. And if you look up the sea slug, the Alicia sea slug, it legit looks like a leaf. It, it's pretty crazy. Like, you can tell it's a slug, but it's green and it looks like a leaf. It's pretty cool. Another example is the eggs of a spotted salamander actually receive oxygen from algae. So they're kind of benefiting in a way from photosynthesis happening and they are able to stay alive from that process. And corals have a similar relationship with photosynthesizing algae. They provide protection to the algae, and in return, the algae provides it with oxygen that helps the coral survive. So some of them have relationships with photosynthetic species, and others have actually adopted it into their own systems. So what if humans could do this? What if we could take advantage of photosynthesis and do it ourselves? So here's the thing. We as humans aren't flat and broad like a leaf is, except for Flat Stanley. Actually, I don't know. I never read that book, but I just assumed that he was flat. He might do pretty well with this. But we are not flat, and so we don't have much surface area to really be taking advantage of the sun. And we're much more active than a plant is. I know, crazy, right? I don't know if you noticed, but plants don't go for runs in the morning. Plants don't sign up for marathons. Plants don't run to the grocery store and carry children. They aren't walking a mile to school, any of that. So we obviously burn more energy than a plant does. Even if we could photosynthesize, I don't think it would be able to keep up with our daily activities. And one plant ecologist at the University of Oxford, Lindsay Turnbull, she estimated that if a typical adult woman had photosynthetic skin, her surface area would only satisfy about 1% of her daily energy requirements. So honestly, being photosynthetic would not be that much help. You would need, Lindsay estimates, a tennis court's worth of skin to keep up with your energy demands, which, ew. That, I just, like, imagine a tennis court with human skin, and I just cringe. That's gross. Also, another question that I have that they did not answer in this article, would we all just have to be naked? Like, would we just be naked green people going around because that's how we would eat? Maybe, like, really rich people could wear clothes because they can afford food and they don't need the sun's energy, but the average Joe has to be naked and be taking advantage of this. I don't know. We're getting into some like weird dystopian book here in my mind, <laughs> but it's something to think about. And there's also another problem with this. Plants, when they photosynthesize, they have these pores called stomatas that open and close to let out oxygen, to pull in carbon dioxide. So we would need porous skin that could 
you know, be bringing in carbon dioxide, letting out oxygen, and we would get really dehydrated and we would probably die from that dehydration, if not other things coming out. I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm filling everyone's mind with like icky images of like really porous skin, tennis courts that have skin on them. I apologize. Let's move on. So Lindsay goes on to say that being photosynthetic might feel similar to being caffeinated all the time, which some people probably already know what that feels like. Here where I live in Utah, we have a serious problem with soda shops where there are just like these specialty soda shops on every corner. So I feel like most of Utah could relate to this. Like, oh, being caffeinated all day? I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be photosynthetic. I'm not a big soda drinker, so I would need to step up my game to know that feeling. But all in all, if photosynthesis did affect anything, it'd probably give an extra 1-2% to of energy, and it would probably all be going to our brain because our brain is the most energy-dependent part of our body, which, you know, maybe that could have been helping societies progress faster with the extra brain power. Maybe we would have hit the Industrial Revolution a few hundred years earlier if we had been photosynthetic beings since the beginning of time, but it wouldn't be making a enormous amount of difference. So I'm going to take a quick break here, but I do want to say I'm not done with this tangent. It actually gets a little crazier, so... When we come back, I will dive into how it gets crazier. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Okay, we're back. And as promised, I told you it was going to get crazier on this tangent of photosynthesizing and humans. And it really does. So before I go in, I have to give a shout out to my friend Aubrey. She mentioned this movement to me months ago. And I thought it was so strange, but I would not even know about it if it wasn't for her. So there's this movement that thinks that they can live on very little food and a diet of air and sunlight to sustain the human body, almost like they believe they are plants. I'm, I don't know, but they call themselves breatharians or breatharians. I think it's breatharians. So as I kind of skimmed over their beliefs, not in any way do I know everything about breatharians, but here's what I learned. So they believe that there is an energy a nourishing life force, if you will. And it's known in Hinduism as prana, and it can be absorbed from the air, this energy. And you basically survive on this energy. The universe's cosmic energy is what you are feeding on. Not surprisingly, there have been multiple deaths that have been associated with breatharianism, which is so sad, but also why... I don't know, why are we as humans preaching this idea that like we don't need food? I just, I don't understand. But again, I'm not a breatharian and so maybe I'm just not on their cosmic energy level, I don't know. But one stalwart follower, his name is Nicholas Pilartz, so what he does is he eats one solid meal a week 
on average and he for the rest of the days just consumes liquid and he's 50 he says he feels great um sounds miserable but you know you do you and i also read about another breatharian couple so husband and wife and she has a few kids although they said they don't have their kids do breatharianism and she did the wife did an entire pregnancy without eating she said that she had solid food five times during her pregnancy the rest of the time it was just liquids like i said i'm pregnant right now and i just don't understand how do you even make it through the first trimester without food what i also don't understand is that this woman mentioned that it was like soup broths and fruit juice things like that like pureed fruit that they were drinking and so in that case i'm like okay so why don't you just eat the fruit why are we making it into a juice i feel like it defeats the whole purpose of breatharianism if you're just i don't know it's almost like pureeing the food you normally and saying that you are surviving on the cosmic energy of the universe i'm not sure but honest to goodness guys it sounds so miserable food is fun and food is good for you a good variety of foods great for you why are we cutting it out and relying on the sun and light and energy from the universe and if you're into that cool that's awesome for you i just don't think i could do it but anyways i do feel like breatharians would be probably the first people that would like sign up to be photosynthetic if that became a thing i think they'd be like yes let me take a step away from traditional food. I don't do it anyway. Let me become green and photosynthetic. I'm totally on board. So if it does happen, maybe we could recruit that movement to try it out and we'll see how it goes. But anyways, I told you that was kind of a fun, silly tangent. And now we're going to get into actually what is inside of a plant again. And again, I'm going to try and make this as light and interesting as possible. So first off, a plant is up to 95% water because that is what is serving as a filler between those carbon structures that we talked about at the very beginning. So we talked about how the carbon, the glucose, and there's some other building blocks on a cellular level that is making these cells. Some have chloroplasts that's giving it energy, and those plant cell walls are made of something called cellulose. And cellulose is the most abundant macromolecule on earth. And if you aren't sure what cellulose is, it's kind of those long linear fibers of a plant. My mind immediately goes to celery. And these fibers, they create a vascular system in a plant that is transporting the water and the sugars throughout the plant. So they're almost like little straws within a plant that are moving everything the plant needs throughout it. And so within this vascular system, there are actually some plants that don't even have a vascular system. They are much more simple. And this includes bryophytes, which are your mosses, your liverworts, and your hornworts, and algae. So these plants are sometimes called lower plants because they were in the earlier plant groups to evolve. And then later on, these vascular systems started to be incorporated into plants throughout their evolutionary process. And the vascular system consists of a xylem and a phloem. There's lots of them. There's not just one xylem and one phloem, but there's lots of them in a plant. So the xylem is what is distributing water and minerals up through the plant and the leaves and is the major part of like the mature woody stem. 
And then the phloem is carrying food down to the leaves. So the xylem bringing water and minerals up. The phloem is bringing food down. So I mentioned they're kind of like straws. They're stacked. They form these long vertical columns, kind of like the lines that you would see in a blade of grass. And speaking of grass, there are actually two types of plants that have vascular systems. Those are monocots and dicots. And I'm going to be mostly diving into this because it affects you as a houseplant owner. So monocots, they have a vascular system, like I mentioned, but the xylem and phloem, they're in little like bundles throughout the plant. Whereas dicots, they have their xylem and phloem arranged in a ring structure. So some examples of dicots include trees. You think of how you chop a tree down, you see those rings. That is the xylem and phloem structure that has been formed throughout the years. Shrubs are included in this and any plant that has like a branching or veining in the leaves rather than parallel veins like a blade of grass does. And so some examples of monocots, since I mentioned some examples of dicots, it includes grass, of course, asparagus, bamboo, which is a houseplant, banana trees, lilies, onions, orchids, rice, tulips, wheat, etc., etc. And when it comes to the world of houseplants, this actually surprised me. I was looking around my home thinking, okay, which of you has these parallel veins like a blade of grass does? It doesn't have the netted veins and having those parallel veins are a monocot. And I was like, okay, snake plant, that's a monocot. There's no netted veins. Dracaenas seemed like another obvious one since they don't have netted veins. And then I was like, okay, I'm not really sure about like, what about a peace lily? That seems like it has netted veins, but it doesn't really have that woody material. And when you cut it open, there's no ring structure within it. And so surprisingly, most all of the houseplants, like common houseplants, are monocots. So I'm going to name some of the common ones that I can think of. So Dracaenas and snake plants, peace lilies, monsteras, philodendrons, prayer plants, pothos, alocasias, orchids, which I mentioned earlier, diffenbachias or dumb canes. The list goes on and on. And then for dicots, really the only two that I could think of and as I researched that I could find that were really common plants were ficuses like your Benjamin ficus, your fiddle leaf fig, all of those, those are dicots, and your rubber trees are dicots. So honestly, in the houseplant world, we have a lot of monocots in our home. And so how does this affect us as houseplant owners? Because I want to have this knowledge be applicable to you in your home. So monocots have fibrous root systems, whereas dicots have a tap root structure. So this is something you can keep in mind when you are repotting. So for most of our houseplants, being monocots, that fibrous root structure, there's not one main root that you could harm and kill the plant. It's not much to worry about, which is a relief. Whereas if you are repotting a dicot, being your ficus or your rubber tree, now you know that there is a main taproot to this plant. And if you were to damage the taproot, you could possibly cause serious damage to the entire plant. Also, another step up you have knowing about plant anatomy is that monocots, they have a higher ability to withstand grazing, which is not happening in our homes, I don't think. I don't know what kind of life you live. I just read about people who live off of air, sunlight, and cosmic energy. So who knows what people are up to? 
But for most people, I don't think we're grazing on our houseplants. They have a better ability to withstand burning. Again, who's doing that in their houses? And disease, which that one I will let slide. Uh, Disease happens, but monocots are able to withstand this better than dicots do, which is really nice since a large majority of our houseplants are monocots. You can rest assured know that they can withstand the diseases that come their way much better than your dicots will, which is unfortunate for our ficuses and our rubber trees, but that's the way it is. And if you were to try and graze on your dicots, they would not pop back as well. And then last thing I wanted to mention of how this affects you as a houseplant owner, knowing all of this new knowledge, is that there are some studies that suggest that monocots are better than the dicots are at absorbing minerals like nitrogen, potassium, calcium, and magnesium, making them more efficient with the fertilizer that you are giving them, and potentially with that, making them more prone to fertilizer burn since they are better at uptaking those nutrients. So it's something to keep in mind that when you are fertilizing your plant, like this plant I know is a monocot, it's not a ficus, it's not a rubber tree, which are our dicots, And so I know that it's going to be able to uptake these nutrients just a little better than my dicots are, and I need to be a little more careful with how much I'm giving them. And vice versa, maybe be aware that your dicots might need extra fertilizer every now and then because they are not as efficient as uptaking those nutrients. But some really interesting things that do have application to you as a houseplant owner And that is all that I have for you today. I hope you learned something new. I hope you had fun listening. I hope you survive on something more than just air, sunlight, and cosmic energy today. But maybe soak up a little cosmic energy, you know, couldn't hurt. But thank you so much for listening and being here. I hope that you will join me next week for another episode of Plant School. Thank you for being here and listening today, and I hope you'll join me next week. If you'd like to support this podcast and keep it going, you can find the support link below in the description and donate. Or, I have some awesome Plant School merch, including stickers, shirts, and mugs, and the link to my shop is in the description as well. And if you don't want to spend any money but still support the podcast, share this podcast with a friend, either verbally or electronically. This will even qualify you for my giveaway. Just message me on Instagram at tinnyplant that you shared the podcast with a friend, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win some goodies. Winners will be announced on the podcast. Again, thank you for listening and I hope you have a great week.